coming in on a Monday morning only to be reminded that I share a studio with Norman Bates Jr., Psycho P, over here, drinking his iced coffee in fall. Is there ever a time, so you'll just drink iced coffee shamelessly all seasons? All year, all year, JD. I'll so winter time, yep. you go in there and you say to the barista, iced coffee, please. Extra ice. Ugh. <laughs> that I'm not even kidding. That gave me like a twinge. Yeah. That gave me a little feeling in my shoulder that I didn't like. This is the second of the I day too. I can't even believe they keep that around at yeah. that time of year. Winter time, you should not be allowed to get an iced coffee. I'm sorry, but it's time to grow up. So you just never have normal coffee. Never. Warm coffee is just out for you. Yeah. Tea? Tea if I'm sick. Tea last week when I was sick. No, nah, it doesn't count. Yeah. That's desperation. Yeah. That's, not, that's nothing when you... That's like, oh, do you take NyQuil when I'm sick? Yeah. Like, are, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. are you just drinking NyQuil on the regular? But no, iced coffee is a wild move as a seasonal drink or as an all-season drink. That's not it. That's just that's just not it, Pete. I don't know, and with I don't all know the, what to say. I don't know what to say. You put a lot of sugar in that. Oh, stuff, yeah. Right? yeah. Two pumps of that syrup. Yeah. So basically... I'm not this person, okay? I just want you to know that I'm not the person that goes, that's not even coffee, okay? Because I hate that guy. Ennis is that guy. Ben Ennis is that guy. You who, sound like that guy. No, maybe. I know. I, I, that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy to you. I don't want to be that guy. Because I put one milk in my coffee and Ennis acts like when I go there, I'm asking for some whipped drink with sprinkles on it. You know, it's, it's rude. It's <laughs> rude the way that... It's mostly just black coffee people treat the rest of the world as right. though they have unlocked some special thing. But yeah, I'm going to need to, I got to, like, when's the last time you tried a warm coffee? Hmm. Probably earlier this summer. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, no wonder you're trying the <laughs> dead heat of summer. Yeah, the first time you mixed July. it up, you decided yeah. this is awful. No, I'm going to get you on the program. All right. We're going to get you one. All right. This, I'm going to come in one week. Uh, one day this week, and uh, I'm going to bring you one. All right. Uh, Psycho P uh, with his iced coffee. Anyways, let me know. Fair or foul? That seems wrong. I, I really, every day I see it, I just go, this this got to be, I don't know if you're pranking me. I don't know if you're doing it just as a little bit of a troll, but no, you really you really do seem to enjoy it. You're a little shaky on that, that ray. <laughs> yeah, like there's a lot of caffeine in there. You brought that up, and I thought, oh, look out for all the equipment. Anyways, oof. Uh, speaking of shaky, Leafs goaltending situation. My God. Um. We do Leafs talk immediately after the game Saturday night, Sam McKee and I. By the way, audio issues are all cleaned up, all fixed. Everything is hunky-dory with the product now. So go subscribe, go review. And if you hated the audio before, change the rating. I saw them, all right? You know I read the reviews. <sighs> Sam Sonoff plays what I think was a really solid game on Saturday night. But the Leafs had to call up Eric Schalgren, who... Had a little bit of a moment last year when he first came up. Looked all right. But uh, that was because the Leafs had the 29th ranked 5-on-5 save percentage in all of hockey last year. And so just about anybody who made any save looked okay. By the way, Eric Schalgren, um, he finished with a tune of an 888 save percentage last year in the NHL. Matt Murray goes down. He's in practice and he pulls his abductor. So a groin injury at a morning skate, not a practice. We're not even talking about practice here. Uh, the guy who DJ Smith says is just hurt all the time ends up being hurt yet again at a morning freaking skate. He's out 10 games. He's out 24 days. 
That brings him back at the earliest in early November. At the position where the Leafs just need depth more than anywhere else. And listen, a lot of people, Kyle Dubas has been a polarizing guy in this city. I think that the people who discredit him don't give him enough credit. And the people who praise him and lavish him with it nonstop um, can be a little much sometimes. Like I even saw one tweet where a guy went, are we sure Kyle Dubas wasn't planning this all along to put him on LTIR (laughs) for what? A third round pick. They were going to eat that money. They could have just had that cap space without it. That's how the Kyle Dubas defenders work. And the Kyle Dubas haters, they just, you know, this is just meat on the bone. They could not wait to get a bite of of this. But what the Matt Murray injury really is and why it's so tough is this is the one thing Dubas could not get wrong. Dubas could not get the goaltending wrong. Like I mentioned, one of the worst five-on-five save percentages in all of the NHL last year. Peter Morazic, when he brought him in on a deal that even in the moment, everyone knew was bad. Even in the moment, everyone knew was an overpay and everyone knew was way too much term for a goaltender with his track record on a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs. Hurt his groin immediately with this team too. This feels exactly like that parallel. It feels like they just threw a new Peter Mrazek in that, another injured guy with a spotty recent track record that you're waiting to come back and yet you desperately need because you have no depth in the organization. And this has been Kyle Dubas's major Achilles heel. People want to quibble about the Stars being paid too much. Look at their last two wins. Stars are dominating on this team. John Tavares is dominating. Nylander, dominating. Matthews, dominating. Marner, dominating. All four of those guys have looked incredible. The third line looks good. It's been humming. We can pick at nits with the fourth line so far, but the blue line is as balanced as it's ever been. It's as deep as it's ever been when it's going to get healthy. The goaltending under Dubas has been bad. It was Lou Lamorello that went out and got Freddie Anderson. It's crazy because a lot of people look at one of Dubas' best trades as acquiring Jack Campbell, a guy who really struggled last year, who did get hurt last season. He had his moments. He had a great showing in the bubble. He got red hot. He's a goalie that you probably don't point to and say, man, he blew it for them. But so much of the Dubas tenure has been, hey, they don't have a backup for Freddie. Maybe they wore him down. Okay, they go get Jack Campbell. They don't really love him. He doesn't have a long-term future here. He ends up leaving for Edmonton. He got shelled the other night, by the way. He got pulled in a game against the Flames. He signs Mrazek to that contract. It's a disaster. It causes them to move back in the draft. And then this year, he makes two pretty bold moves in net. An offseason where everyone's looking at it and saying, you've got one year left on your deal. This is all or nothing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. For him, he's got to feel sick about it in some ways that he's built this team that's clearly, clearly, clearly good. I don't care what you say about the Leafs. If you think that they're, they're flawed in some way, they don't have the composure to win in the postseason, whatever. It's clearly a very, very good hockey team. They've set regular season records despite that. Would they have 107 points last year? Despite having, again, 29th in five-on-five save percentage. 29th. But he has done a horrific job with the goaltending, and there's just no debating that. They had to call up an injured Eric Schalgren to be the emergency replacement in that game because they were a hair away from some guy named Dylan Ferguson who had signed a PTO with the Marlies. They're at 50 out of 50 contracts. There's no one they can sign. There's no going out and saying, oh, we're going to give somebody a contract and someone's going to bail us out here. What, you're going to make a trade for a goaltender in October? 
Who, who's, I, I don't even understand the concept behind that. Anyway, it, this was just a harsh and immediate reminder of Dubas's gamble in the main area that he had to get right. And so for Matt Murray, um, this is his seventh injury since 2021. Sixth time he's had to miss time. He had a concussion, cost him 28 games. Neck injury, two games. Lower body injury, eight games. Upper body injury, six games. And then another neck injury that cost him two. That's all since 2021. You want to try to be optimistic about this guy, and I know a lot of people were, and they viewed it as maybe a bit of a savvy move given what goaltenders are, and you really don't want to invest too much in them too heavily. You don't want to go all in with a free agent. I understood the move not to go all in for Darcy Kemper, and this is the game people always play is they go, well, who else would you have gotten? That, that's like the safety valve for everybody. Who else would you have gotten, okay? All goalies suck. That's the other take. Everybody goes, all, all goalies stink. All right, I guess. If you say so. Seems like some other teams have been able to figure it out just fine. There's been no starters. You've got a guy that's on a one-year contract who had sub-900 save last year in Samsonov that's healthy right now and who's looked pr- pretty solid through two games. Some shaky moments, but solid enough. And, and again, that's all the Toronto Maple Leafs need. That's all they need in the regular season. I don't know if that's what they need in the playoffs because I keep hearing this from fans, two sides of their mouth. One, they go, the Leafs just need to be okay in net. And then they get to the playoffs, and if the goalie doesn't steal them a series or steal them a win, they go, the goalie, uh, that, nobody stole them a series. No one stole them a win. And I'm going, which is it? Which is it? You obviously need above average goaltending in the playoffs. And it's really tough to project one guy even being there healthy right now, given his track record. His head coach, again, DJ Smith from a year ago, saying this, he's hurt all the time. I have Craig Simpson in about 10 minutes from now. I also wonder what the wear and tear effect is on a, a group that knows that they've got a guy who's hurt all the time back there, who just can't get right, who can't get healthy. And, and how it affects the team psychologically. Because I, I just can't imagine that it's very good. Anyway, it's devastating for the Leafs. And, and don't pretend it's anything otherwise. This team can obviously get by because they did last year. It's not about the regular season record. But if you missed on Matt Murray, that means you're carrying that money over to next year. Again, another reminder, Kyle Dubas only ate 25 or got the sense to eat 25% of that deal. He openly admitted he wanted more. Sens held firm, Summer of Pierre, they got to be laughing right now. Their division rivals, who they lost to, are looking across and seeing Matt Murray not start on Saturday night because of the reason that they ended up getting rid of him and getting Toronto to eat all that money. So yeah, a lot of risk for the Leafs. So far, one game where all we've seen is the complete MO of Matt Murray, which is that his glove hand is an issue and so is keeping his body right. And if he can't do that right now after an offseason where they've said he worked on his strength and he's worked on his conditioning and he's worked on being healthy and he gets hurt at a skate, you got to absolutely be delusional to believe that he's going to stay healthy throughout the course of this season. Or that this isn't just a massive red flag where every Leaf fan should be terrified about what they're going to have in net because, again, they need him to play games. They cannot turn Stanley Cup aspirations over to Samsonov and Eric Schalgren. It was an issue when they had a bona fide all-star in net in Freddie Anderson, and he wore down without a backup. It's a greater issue if you have to put that kind of a workload on Samsonov. Anyway, Craig Simpson and a few. 
More Leafs talk later. Subscribe to Leafs Talk Podcast. We'll have it up on YouTube right after the game tonight. I think it's uh, Sam back with me again tonight. Um, quick thought on the NFL. Two quick thoughts. Number one, Bills Chiefs, Vaughn Miller's the difference. It sounds so basic. It sounds so obvious, but it's just true. It's exactly true. Last year, how did the Chiefs win? Bills couldn't get stops. This year, how did the Chiefs lose? Vaughn Miller, three plays. Forces a pressure that forces a field goal. Then he gets a sack. And then a pressure that forced the pick on the Chiefs' final play. Plain and simple. He was the man. He was the man in this game. And you just saw it. You just saw what the formula is for the Bills. That defense is getting healthy. That defense is fast. And Vaughn Miller is the main reason that it looks changed from a year ago. I, I, I don't know how much stock I put into the whole, hey, the Bills now know that they can beat the Chiefs because they beat them in the regular season. But I do put stock into they needed that game way more because their division actually looks sneaky frisky. Jets look pretty decent. Patriots look pretty tough. I think the Bills will roll both of them. Um, I don't think that the Dolphins, it's hard to envision them snapping back into it now. Apparently, they're going to get two back maybe by week seven, but I thought the only reason they beat the Bills in the first place was because of just a, a wild game, uh, a crazy unlucky game for the Bills, and one where they just basically overheated. Um, and just like you saw with the Vikings this weekend, it's really tough to deal with the elements down there. But yeah, the AFC West is open for the taking for the Chiefs again. They already beat the Raiders. The Broncos look bad, and I think that we could see even worse tonight. And yeah, same goes for the Chargers. They're only four and a half point favorites against a team that has arguably looked like one of the bottom five teams in the NFL so far this season. So yeah, AFC West may have been a little overhyped. Either way, that was a massive game for the Bills. And my two takeaways were simple. It was that one, Vaughn Miller is a game changer and they need to keep him healthy. I don't know if you try to load manage him or whatever you do, but you, you can't have Vaughn Miller wear down throughout the course of the regular season. He's just, he's too important to this team. And number two is just... I. <sighs> I would genuinely rather have Josh Allen than Patrick Mahomes. And the reason is what you saw down the stretch. I don't know if I'd rather have him for the rest of his entire career. It's a different conversation, but Allen can just do it all. And he is just a badass. And there's something about having that guy who is not only just a quarterback who can make all the throws, somebody who feels like they could win in a fight against a linebacker. He's a beast. That hurdle play he made down the stretch, the Bills just handed him the rock and said, yo, win this with your legs, win this however. And he did it. He's not afraid of contact. And he's one of the only quarterbacks ever. I, I honestly can't think of another one off the top of my head where you go, yeah, invite the contact. No big deal. Look at how good Lamar Jackson is as avoiding contact. Look how easily destroyed RG3 was. There have been some guys who can take a hit, like Ben Roethlisberger. Guys used to just roll off him when he would hang out in the pocket sometimes. But Allen is a completely different animal. And, and I just think that he provides you with more ways to win right now with Mahomes. And there's just a little bit more badassery to him. His teammates seem to adore him, top to bottom. He seems to connect with everyone in that organization. And he's just the ultimate follow-my-lead guy. And this is not a shot at Mahomes. Mahomes is incredible. Like, look at some of the throws that he made in that game especially early on, some of the ones that got taken away via penalty. Either way, I just, I think Josh Allen is a mutant and I really do believe that this is the Bills' year. They just look like the best team in the NFL and if I'm going to say who's standing in their way, the Chiefs team that they just beat, who I think that they're better than and who they just beat in their own barn, by the way, or what, the Eagles, 
who almost choked away a lead to the Cowboys and Cooper Rush? No, the Bills are the best team in the NFL. I've said it at the beginning of the season. I'll say it now. They are the best, most complete roster. And I truly believe that right now they have the best quarterback in the NFL. Can argue about whether he's the best athlete or not. I still think that's Lamar. Jalen Hurts has a case to be made for it too. You see him on quarterback sneaks where they, they talk about what he, what he presses. And you see that as he pushes the pile forward. But Allen is in that company. That hurdle was no joke. The way he turns his body into defenders as they come in for contact is, is no joke. And yeah, just the confidence in which I think that the Bills have and people who watch them have when he needs to drive and make a play right now, it's insane to think back to the Josh Allen that we were first introduced to in the NFL. And hand up, I was with them where I was like going, mm, I don't think this is going to work out. Whoa, they went with the inaccurate guy because he has the big arm. Whoops. I thought, I thought they should have drafted, uh, who is the guy? Josh Rosen? Yeah, I was, I was thinking, go get the accurate guy. Whoops. No, Josh Allen is the man. And it's the perfect thing, too, because he was the guy that people slept on. Bills fans were clowned on him. And now he's just, he's your guy. And yeah, I cannot think about a quarterback I'm more envious of a fan base having. To watch that guy every week to play for your team is truly incredible. What a fun experience that is. Anyway, um, I also think we're in a new era for quarterbacks. It's pretty clear the Brady-Russ-Rogers thing is completely done. Um, and yeah, I'm willing to write them all off as contenders. It's just not happening this year. And we have Greg Jennings at 10 o'clock. And the thing I really want to know from him today is where he thinks Aaron Rodgers' head is at. This guy who's been his teammate for a really long time. And Brady just is in complete disarray, right? And he's old and we were expecting this. And it's, it's kind of hard to watch because you know that his personal life is in disarray. And then you're seeing him on the field lose to a Steelers team that got pumped 38-3 to by the Bills last week. And... Russell Wilson, it's, he could never make a throw over the middle. He was always a guy that had to improvise on offense, and now he's lost his legs to a degree, and it just he just doesn't look right. He looks like he's completely fallen off a cliff. Aaron Rodgers still making plays. Aaron Rodgers can still hit that high level. There was a few moments in that game where you go, damn, Aaron Rodgers, only, that's still an Aaron Rodgers toss. That's still an Aaron Rodgers play. But he's talking after the game about how they need to simplify their offense, and... His body language right now is tough. And, and it's, it's an on-the-field thing, too. He's a mercurial, temperamental guy who had threatened retirement this offseason. And I said this going into the year, but it was going to be a really interesting dynamic to follow how his teammates responded to him. Because I think for most seasons, you felt like what I talked about with Josh Allen when you had Aaron Rodgers, that he was going to find a way to win you a ball game. And now I just wonder if he's wearing on guys, pointing the finger, one foot out the door, how difficult that is on that, that team. So yeah, it's, it's just this weekend was just a big time reminder that if we didn't know it already, that we were in the Mahomes, Allen hurts. No, I want to put hurts in that category with those two guys. We're in the Mahomes, Allen era. And maybe Justin Herbert can do something tonight to throw his name in that mix. But those two guys are at the top of the pile and Brady Rogers, Russ, those three guys are now an afterthought. Let's take a break. Quick one. Quick, 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 quick. Let's come back. Let's ask Craig Simpson about what he's seen from the core four forwards. Primes. What do you do with Nick Robertson? And how long should it take for a line to gel? Quick break. That's next. Sportsnet 590. So it felt like a negative weekend for the Leafs because of the Matt Murray injury. It obviously 
hangs over this season. They took some risks in net, and as I outlined off the top of the show, it's really, really tough to envision uh, a positive outcome when a guy pulls an abductor tendon in a skate who has had seven injuries since 2021. But there have been some really good things too, and primarily it's been the play of the top four forwards. There have been some positive storylines with the decor. I've really liked, you know, the third line in moments, but I, I want to talk to Craig Simpson today about a few things, but primarily, um, are we seeing Matthews and Marner and Nylander fully into their prime? Uh, Craig Simpson, Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, good morning. Thanks for jumping on the podcast, man. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate so, it. So when, when do you feel like you were in your prime? Because, like, is it something that you feel as a player where you've just accumulated enough experience, your body is in a certain place? Because I, I can't help but feel watching these forwards through the first three games, the last two in particular, that that's what we're seeing now, that it's, it's all starting to be put together. Yeah, I think part of it uh, starts with, you know, how young were you when you started your professional hockey league career? Like for an Austin Matthews, when you're an 18-year-old in the NHL, all of a sudden when you're a 25-year-old, you, you know, your body's probably getting to uh, the maturity part that, that you'll max uh, how strong you're going to be, how prepared you're going to be. I think mentally that's the the big thing as well. So, when you get into that 25 to 28 uh, range, I, I think you know that would sort of constitute being in your prime. But when you've had the experience that these guys have had, and you've had the experience of starting the game at such a young age, um, you know I think it's fast track. So I think you're, you're right. You know, you look at Morgan Riley. I would say still Morgan Riley's still in his prime, but he's played longer than those other guys. But the experiences that six years of, you know, losing tight playoff matches and losing five straight elimination games, you know, those kind of experiences are also factored into, you know, where you are as a player, what you've learned, uh, what this season now means in year seven for those core guys that they say, you know, you should be able to have handled everything in your career and nothing's going to be a surprise to you. And so I think that's what's exciting. And I think that's what brings the sense of urgency for this group for this year is that, yeah, all those guys are coming off career years. You know, um, Nylander, Marner, Matthews, all career years last year. So where's the ceiling going to be? And I, I think that's what would be exciting for me as a player at that stage of knowing how talented you are, knowing the skills you have, knowing the guys you have to play with. And I think that's where there's a sense of urgency this year that, you know, what what can we do this year to combat what they did last year? But more importantly, how good can I be as a player? And I, I think you'll see that as the their season develops. Yeah, it's, it's so strange to feel this way because Matthews won the heart last year. <laughs> and yet... Through the first couple of games, um, again, the last two in particular, I know they played Washington on a back-to-back in their home opener, and they had just gotten embarrassed, so maybe there's a little bit of extra pep in the step. Um, they play a Senators team that is, I would say, lacking when it comes to um, their their blue line or just their team defense in general. But there have just been, this has now been two games where I look at those four guys in particular, and it, it just feels like they're playing with their food. And it, it does feel as though all of them have taken that step and I can't tell if that's confirmation bias or if that is, because I agree with you. There's definitely a feeling that when I'm watching them, 
it's, oh, a lot of this experience is really starting to manifest itself. And yeah, they just, they look like they're in a completely different league than a lot of these opponents. Well, I think early on, too, you, you're getting into the season, the difference between uh, exhibition, you know, I, I think the lead starts to settle itself out where um, you're having an opponent for the first time. Like tonight, you, you know, you've got an opponent in Arizona that uh, if you look at historically and look at last year's numbers, uh, I mean, goals against 32nd in the league. There's a lot of sort of dead last in the league. So you're getting an early opportunity to say, okay, is this a night where you explode and you get your offense going? Or is this one that you really don't know what you're going to see from Arizona that compared to what they've been the last couple of years? And I think that's what always happens early on. It takes a while for the league to settle in. I think it takes a while to get a sense of who are going to be the good teams and maybe you get surprised early on. But uh, more than anything, players right now are trying to get themselves into the rhythm of playing every other night and playing at a high level and it's not exhibition, so you got to be ready to play. And um, So, you know, I, I think I, as everybody does early on, you take a quick look at, at what's happening around the league and at times that trend's not going to be realistic, both good and bad. And uh, that's what happens early in the season as you get some, you know, that's why every player wants to get those zeros off the board and get a goal early on. So you're not looking and saying, Oh man, I've had a bad start and it's accentuated because we've only played three or four games. Yeah. And I always have to, especially for someone like me, who's looking for angles to talk about you know, tries to analyze things through, okay, well, where's, where does the story go, right? You're a couple games into the yeah. season and you always have to go, okay, listen, just pump the brakes. I think we also forget a lot about the year before or we'll carry stories from the year before into the now and see how they can kind of splice together. And, and the number one with that outside of goaltending, which we will get to, is, has been Tavares' play. And, and this is one where I can't... This is where the memory almost fails you. Because I remember Tavares having a strong finish to the postseason and struggling a little bit earlier on. But there was a really long narrative throughout 2021 of Tavares and Elander don't really work. And now you look back on that and the save percentage five on five when those two were on the ice was miserable. It was below 900. It was it was the main reason why they ended up with kind of just their their plus minus some of their stats goals for and it goes against and this year they look so good together and and I'm kind of having trouble with this. Do you think that there's something different about Tavares? Like he's come out looking extremely strong. Is this just us kind of having a a misremembering of the player that he was last year, or do you feel like there actually has been uh, a difference to his start this year? No, I I honestly uh, I feel. And I and I pity you guys for every day having to get on and talk about something. <laughs> it's, it's not that because, bad. That's pretty fun. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It, 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 it's something though that uh, I was on. I don't know before the Montreal game, and I was asked something kind of similar, and I said, "Listen, you know, you've got Tavares's year of seventy-six points uh, when you had." career highs for his winger in Nylander. He had career highs, as I said, for Matthews. He had career high for Marner. I, I mean, what do you need or expecting out of him? You know, the, I think you're, not every single top performer is going to have a career season, but for, you know, a, a guy in his 13th year in the National Hockey League to have 76 points as a number two centerman, mm-hmm. uh, 
I'd say he did his job, and he was good in the face-off dot. That's the things that you have to do to contribute, the things that you have to do to try to find a way to, to be in a position where you're doing your job. And uh, I, I just think that it's a bit of an overreaction. It's a bit of an overanalysis because of his contract, which mm-hmm. you can't change now. So, you know, why make it the focal point? It's not going to change. It's not going away. Uh, and from him, I just think he's a pro that knows how to prepare himself for the season. And I think the start of the season has been a really good one for him. But it, it's hard to say that, uh, you know, they had a bad connection last year when Nylander had a career year for himself. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, I do think it's it's overanalyzed. And I do think it's always – I understand why it is. But I think he's had a good start to the season, and I would have expected him to have that. I, I think he's a motivated guy. He's a guy who knows how to be prepared. You talked about being in the prime of your career. You know, I, I think mentally he's in the prime where he is. Physically, you know, he's not as physically skilled and maybe speed-wise as those other guys we're talking about. But I don't think he's on, you know, the decline and the downturn of, of his career. Yeah, it's it's strange because there were conversations um, about his future down the middle and whether or not he was destined to move to the wing. That looks not close through the first few games of the season. I was kind of tempering my expectations for his start because the oblique injury. Again, I that's more yeah. of a, I think about that more as a baseball injury than a hockey one. Like I couldn't think about someone who's had that and how they recovered from it or how they started to look at the very beginning of the season. And it looked like it impacted him none, right? I was actually concerned that, oh, no, did this guy rush back? Did he rush back and now he's not going to look right and get off to a slow start? Opposite, looks totally fine. Looks as though the injury wasn't even a real one. But, yeah, what you mentioned is so true about the contracts, and it's what frustrates me so much about the NHL and the hard cap. And I I understand the business realities of the league. Um, I know that they want to have competitive balance, but it's just so tough that – uh, part of a guy's legacy in this city now is the money they make and everyone knows it down to the dollar. And that's so much yeah. of the Tavares conversation is exactly that. Like Craig, I- I'm not joking. I genuinely got a text on Saturday night from a friend that was, how did Kubel get a million? And <laughs> that's because we're talking about people nitpicking on contracts of, you know, the difference of yeah. $200,000. Like this market cares about it because they're $4 million or $4 uh, below the salary cap entering the season. Yeah, well, you look at even uh, the impact that that has on the decision that was, in my opinion, a really quick one on the Matt Murray injury. You know, they they can't wait around and see, oh, is it just a little bit of a nagging groin or is it going to be something that's keeping them out a while? You make the decision to keep them out a while because now it gives you some cap space, right? Like there wasn't even... Um, you know, it's sort of let's wait and see. I, I just think that the finances are, are making all kinds of decisions uh, that maybe otherwise wouldn't be. So I, it, it is the reality. And I know it's understandable that people are, are invested in it and not uh, emotionally the way they are. But yeah, there's, there's, when you're looking at a player, I think you just have to focus on, okay, how's he going to get himself through maybe some tough times or an injury time and what effect can it have? And instead of saying, well, this is such a burden, they've got to do something about it. As you know, it's not easy to trade contracts away either now. So even if you've got one or two in your lineup, uh, it's it's not an easy task for a general manager to, to sift his way through it and get rid of it. Yeah, I had a similar thought with the Murray thing. Is I, I would love to know how serious this actually is versus how much of it was 
well, if we don't put this guy on LTIR, we don't have a backup tonight. Because they're at yeah, 50 I, contracts. I don't think there's any question. I yeah. don't think there's any question that the decision was a very, very quick one and wouldn't be made if there weren't a contract issue. I mean, a yeah. salary cap issue. You know, it's like, okay, just bring the other guy up. Let's give him a day off. No big deal. But you have to do the, you know, long-term injury to, to retrieve the cap space for sure. Yeah, because I think that they're looking at a situation where they're going to have to emergency call another U of T goalie. <laughs> that was, the, exactly. that was yeah. the option if they didn't throw him on LTIR. So they do that. Um, he's going to miss 10 games, 24 days. Hopefully the injury is not a real significant one and that the, for his sake and for the Maple Leafs, that it, it's very much what we're talking about right now, where it was a quick decision. It's one that they probably could have gotten him back sooner, but hey, he gets a little extra time to rest. He's an injury prone guy. But that's, this is the thing I keep coming to with him is that this is the seventh injury since 2021, the seventh, like, oof. Um, DJ yeah. Smith saying it in the pregame, hey, this is a guy who is hurt all the time, just, you know, right off of the tongue, just rolls off of it. He starts his tenure this way. Um, how does that actually affect a dressing room, if at all? Because I would imagine that these Leafs are fairly mentally tough. They've dealt with uh, some real question marks in net over the last few seasons. But when you have guys around you that keep getting hurt, does it affect the way you think about their reliability or the way that they fit into the team? Because I would just feel like, yeah, it's just like anything. If someone's not really showing up for work, you start to not count on them the same way. Yeah, it's a human nature, no question. But it, it's, a, it's a more delicate one because, you know, at this level and, and you have trust in the guy as a professional that it's, it's not a situation where you're ever looking at the guy and doubting whether he is actually hurt. You know, that there, there's probably a few examples in history that, that has been the case, but I, I think you're right in the sense that the hardest thing as a player when you're dealing with it and when you're injured all the time or when you're having a career-ending injury or anything like that, I mean, I dealt with it the last three years of my career, uh, with my back, it's it's the worst feeling because you feel so detached from the team. So for the guy himself, it's like you, you want to be relied upon, you want to be in the lineup, you hate the fact that you're not. And so as a new player, the one thing you're always trying to do is prove to your new teammates, you know, the commitment that you have, the abilities that you have and all those things. And that puts that on the derailment. And that's got to be tough for Murray because there's no question as a goaltender, you need that probably more than any position to, to really let the guys know that you have their back and that you're going to play and compete for them, well, with them and for them. And so uh, I, I do think it's a difficult one. I don't think it's going to be a case where guys are looking at them uh, in any sort of way and questioning them. But there's no question the, the hardest thing about going to a new team and if you're not able to play and, and you're injured all the time is just bringing that, that trust for each other. So it delays all of that. It delays for him his ability to get in a rhythm and, and prove that he's still got the skills. And so uh, that's going to be a tough hurdle for him to get over. And I, I'm sure it's got to be a little bit of an angst for him to have happened so early in the season. Well, and I had Ed Belfour on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago, and the thing that keeps sticking out to me, and as you're talking about this, the disconnection with the team is, he mentioned that when he went to a new place, it took him about a month to get settled in, to really start to understand his teammates, the way that they played, for them to kind of know his game a little bit and really feel, yeah, comfortable, like he was a member of the team and how yep. he was going to play. And for Matt Murray, a guy who has so much on his shoulders right now, right? Hey, the... 
the prove it season. Now you've had a team that moved off of you, had to pay an asset to get rid of your contract. Nobody cared about it in Ottawa. Like, no one's going to miss you. You come to Toronto, you don't get to get comfortable, and you also have a market where it's it's not quiet, you know? Even when you're away, people are going to be talking about you for months on end. Everything that's going to happen in the net for the month that he's gone is going to be related back to him. And I would just imagine that, yeah, not being able to get set, not being able to be comfortable, not being able to kind of ingratiate yourself with your teammates and then also be hurt, not being able to practice maybe fully, and then having the pressure of the market, it just it's really hard to be optimistic about the situation, Craig. I, I'm having a tough time finding the silver lining here. Yeah, no, I don't think there is a, a silver lining. I mean, the, the silver lining uh, potentially uh, for the Leafs as a group is that, and I, I said it and I felt it coming in, that the wild card on the risk and the, the gamble, so to speak, that Dubas took was Samsonov because now you got a guy truly, you know, in his sort of uh, age prime, uh, has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, has a lot to prove, has really motivated, and still, you know, you're, you're looking at a guy who's played just over 90 games in the NHL. He's over 50 games over 500, and uh, there's 30 games over 500, and looks like a guy who potentially could be a number one guy. So the silver lining might be it allows him to get into a real rhythm. It allows him to maybe get the net a little quicker and, and have the opportunity. But as you know, that's a double-edged sword as well. You know, <laughs> that could have been risky. And we're still only, like, a couple of games in for him. But, you know, I, I just think, you, like every professional, you have to deal with the reality that you're surrounded with. And now you, for Murray you know that it was going to be a tough start anyways, and you had a lot to prove. Well, now it becomes even more difficult. And so now uh, I think mentally it's a really important time for him to get through the injury time and make sure at the end of that long-term injury time that he's in a healthy position. And, you know, his job has to be coming out of the gate and proven to his teammates and proven to everybody that he still has the skills and he still has the ability uh, to take a net and, and run with it. Yeah, the um, the fortunate thing for them is they don't have a back-to-back for a little bit here. Um, October 29th and October 30th, though, you can circle that one, you know, your date against the Kings, you'll be calling that game as this will be peak talking about the goalie time because if the Leafs have two bad right. performances from their goaltenders on back-to-back evenings, yeah, um, I can promise you that uh, that Monday show <laughs> from me is 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 going to be a spicy one. Um, so yeah, I think For Samsonov sure. has looked pretty solid so far. A little shaky in the first start, but um, yeah, settled in and was was okay. And you're right, he gets an opportunity to run with the net. The other, I guess, if we're going to talk about it from a silver lining standpoint, is you get to weaponize a little bit of cap space. You get to call up some players. It was nice that Wayne Simmons yeah. came back up. You have a little bit more depth at forward. Maybe they take a look at Victor Mete and. If there is a back-to-back, potentially they load-manage one of their older defensemen. But the biggest name out of the mix is obviously Nick Robertson, right? He has this terrific camp, and he doesn't make the team because of salary cap issues. Um, yeah. Do you think you can play him in the lineup if it's not uh, on the second line? Like, how, how would you try to mix him in, if at all, over this next little stretch? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough decision because uh, I, I do... I mean, I like the the fact for the kid that he gets an opportunity to be up here and get to maybe chance to get a little bit of experience, get a little bit of confidence, uh, even just to practice at this level for for a while is a 
is a positive thing in terms of his development. But I, I think he did exactly what you said. He did what he had to do at training camp. He had to come in and check off some boxes. He had to play at a, a good intensity level, had to show that he could play at both ends of the ice a little bit better, show he could be a little bit stronger around the, with the puck. And, you know, the, the fact that Mulgan stayed up and he had to go down was as much of a reality of waivers than anything else. So, um, I, I thought Sheldon's response yesterday was good. That I like the fact that you now can have some more competition, have some guys up in that who are healthy and ready to go. Um, I think it's not a negative thing if if Robertson plays on a third or a fourth line for for uh, for short periods. But I think you're right. In the longer run, you're probably going to need him to play on a second line role or play where Malgan. Uh, is playing with a guy like Nylander and Tavares, and uh, you hope that that's where he can finally become comfortable and play on a consistent basis and not hurt you defensively, but also add a lot offensively. And I, I think he's ready to make that 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 uh, step in his NHL career, but I don't think it would hurt him for stretches to be in a in a third line role or uh, to to play at that level and and get you know, sort of your toe dipped into the water and uh, get back at an NHL level. I, I don't think that would be a negative for him, but I think overall you're looking for him to play in the higher higher up level for sure. Yeah, and this is why I wanted to bring it up. I don't think it would be a bad thing if he played on the third line because there's clearly skill there, right? You saw the pass Kerfoot made the other night that, you know, totally. Crux yeah. goes on, you go, wow, okay, Robertson could absolutely play with those guys. But that line has looked good, and the Leafs are going to need that third line to score this year, and if I'm Sheldon Keefe, I'm saying... I'm not breaking you three up for a while because I want to see what you guys can develop uh, from a chemistry standpoint. The fourth line, I just don't see where the fit is for Robertson right now because they're clearly trying to have a little bit of, hey, this is the line that throws the body around a little bit. I think they've struggled out of the gate so far, but it's a fourth line that's playing limited minutes and it's mostly just guys who they want to kill penalties. I wonder even if Malgan, he's Malgan's look fine to me. He's had some moments. He scored. He drew a, a big penalty in the second game or maybe it was the first. I can't remember who, who high sticked him, um, but either way, yeah. he's had just some, some fine moments. He hasn't done anything where I've gone, Oh, he should be out of the lineup. But I do wonder if there's a temptation for the Leafs just to say, Hey, um, you're here on a one-year contract, and sorry, but you might have made this team based on waivers. Um, we're going to take a look at the kid here, and, and we're going to sit Malgan, and whether you can do that despite the second line having a start the way that they've had. Well, I don't think there's any question that that's probably going to be in the mix, and I don't think there'd be any real shock for Malgan that that's probably going to be a reality that he's going to face mm. in and out of the lineup. You know, I think the one thing there's a reason why he didn't stick in the NHL the last time. And, you know, credit to him. He went back to the Swiss league and got his confidence and, you know, had some pretty good offensive numbers there, which maybe allow him to come back here with a lot more, a lot more talent, a little more skill, a little more understanding of what he has to do. But, but I don't think there's any question that uh, Morgan's not feeling like he's a given in on that role at any point. So, I don't think that would be a shock to him. I don't think that uh, from a coach's perspective, you know, you feel, oh, I can't do that to a guy like him. I think he his challenge is that he hasn't shown that he can be a consistent top six forward in this league on an every night basis. So are we expecting him to be that uh, to the level of the other guys that he's playing with? Probably not. And I think he would probably expect that, 
yeah, there, there's going to be a night where maybe he's down on the fourth line and Nick Robinson's in and someone's out there. But I don't think there's any question that, that that's a real possibility and it probably wouldn't be a shock to Mulligan that that might happen. I really want to see it. Um, two quick ones and then I'll let you go. Um, the other young guy that is supposed to play a big role in this team and is supposed to have a big future in this team is Rasmus Sandin. How, how have you evaluated his play so far? I think it's kind of hard to, you know, anytime you're coming in late, you're always feeling a little bit behind. Um, uh, I don't think he's played poorly, but I, I don't think he's played where you're, you're watching and going, Oh yeah, he's made big strides. I think you're probably going to need to give him sort of at the 10 game mark and say, you know, have a, have a overall look at, uh, at his abilities and say, as, as, has he really turned the corner to be a reliable everyday guy? Can he handle all the matchups? And, uh, I think at times last year, he, he showed that he could handle a difficult matchup defensively. He showed that, you know, his, uh, pace of his game was up to a pretty good level. So, uh, I think it's a bit early to say, is he, has he made progress or has he gone backwards? I don't think he's gone backwards, but I just think that uh, I've, I've been okay with his play, but I haven't watched him and said, oh, yeah, like he's really ready to, to make the step yet. Yeah, and I, the reason I ask it is because Timothy Lilligren is going to return to this team at some point in the near future, and they're leaning on Justin Hall. And Justin Hall scores that game winner the other night, and he's playing some pretty heavy minutes for them. And during the offseason, everyone had him traded. Everyone had him down the lineup, right. and he's off the team, and blah, 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 blah. But Sheldon Keefe still fancies his shutdown pairing as Jake Muzzin and Justin Hall. And I can't help but feel like, hey, this is why Sandine was holding out, is he wanted a spot on an NHL roster. And, I like... If it hits before the 10 game mark, I don't know if we're going to learn before the 10 game mark because right now it, it sure feels like he's the odd man out when they're healthy. Yeah, and I, I think that's the competition factor that uh, every coach is looking for. I mean, you, you want to have, if you're an NHL team uh, and a coach, you want to have a decision where you're keeping out an NHL caliber defenseman every night. You know, like you need to have that depth. Uh, on your team if you don't then you're probably not deep enough as a group and I think the reality for Sandine sitting and watching and seeing some of the injuries was going I I would have been worried of giving of not signing not being ready to come back and play to start the season a guy like Victor Mete sitting in your place because of injury going I you don't you don't ever want to give somebody else the opportunity in front of you so uh you know it was a bit of a strange holdout you knew the number wasn't really going to change just because of the cap issue and to his credit I, I think it was important for Sandine to get back and I I do think these next let's say half dozen games or this road trip coming up after the the little homestand here will be really important for him to get into a rhythm and show uh, Sheldon Keith that you know, I'm an everyday guy. I, I can play up. Uh, can you play a second pairing? You know, at times you're going to have injuries where you might have to be up on the top pair for a bit. And I think that's what the head coach is looking to see is keep that competitiveness going on your back end. Hey, Craig, um, always appreciate you making time. Thanks for being so generous with it today. All right. Have a great day. You see too, ya. man. Craig Simpson, Hockey Night in Canada. So a couple things off of that rapid fire before we take the break. Talk to Greg Jennings about Sunday. One is I'm 100% playing Robertson on the top six. I mentioned it. I don't think there's a spot for him in the bottom six. 
Like Craig's right in the sense of, yeah, he could absolutely play there now, but to me, there's got to be an injury. I'm not messing with Engvall, Kerfoot, and Yarncrock because those guys have actually looked really good for stretches. I've been super impressed with their speed in particular and just how quickly they've gelled. The fourth line to me so far has sneaky stunk. They take all their draws in the D zone, so it's tough when you look at them from like a number standpoint. But I, I don't know what Kubel does yet. And Reese, even though you can see it a little bit more and was the training camp darling, yeah, it just, it doesn't, it, they feel like a line that's in between two different things. And it, yeah, it's very, very early, whatever. I'm not concerned about it. I'm just saying, I don't see how Robertson fits there. To me right now, the only fit is top six. And it's obviously the top line if there's an injury, but I don't think you need an injury on the second line to get him in the lineup. He had an incredible camp. He deserves a look. And I, I don't want to have it be with Malgan too, where he has to screw up or have a bad stretch or whatever. No, just cycle him in and out. He's a depth forward. He signed here on a veteran minimum deal and was a year is, you know, an off season removed from being in the Swiss league. I, I don't know what you owe him. And if I'm the Leafs, I'm playing the football mentality, the competitive, Hey, every day is a battle thing for the guys around the fringes. And so for me, it's that go in there and prove it and keep winning the job. The job extends into the regular season. You've got a month now to toy with that, with that injury. And I'm hundred percent doing it. Of course, he's going to get in. I just wonder how quickly it will be and what the matchups are that he's going to be looking for with that. Number two is yeah. Okay. So too early for Rasmus Sandin, but I think we could all agree, even the biggest, you know, Justin Hall haters that if they had to make a decision tomorrow, Sandin's not in the lineup over Hall. Like you gotta be kidding. If you think that there's absolutely no way, there's no freaking way. And yeah, depth is important. And I still think that Jordy Ben is the release valve for what Justin Hall brings and that when he gets healthy, he'll get a look. But Simpson just mentioned it. That's why you want to have depth at a position. It gives you a lot of different options, but that's also why you don't want to miss camp because it gives other guys opportunities. And Jordy Ben being on the shelf and not being able to prove himself with the Leafs has ingrained Justin Hall in this blue line and continue to show how this organization feels about his importance. So he might piss fans off at times. I know he's had a start where people are um, not pissed at him yet. Game one was a rough one, but the last two have been solid. And again, he's got a game winner. Uh, but it, as of right now, you know, he's clearly a guy that you circle in for cap implications, but he's not one that you're circling because of play. So it is going to be kind of interesting to see how that develops over the next couple of weeks. Um, quick break, then Super Bowl champion Greg Jennings on what he's seeing with his Green Bay Packers and takeaways from Bill's Chiefs. I'm going to need Tony Romo to start tweeting out picks. I don't know. He's a broadcaster. It's probably not legal, but him saying this feels like a 24, 20 game with Bill's chiefs. And then it being 24, 20. You got, you got to throw respect. Tony Romo's name. There's been a little bit of uh Hey, Tony Romo's not so hot over the last couple of years or uh, more so over just the last one. That was a damn good game that he called. And that was uh, one hell of a prediction calling the, the score right on the button. Awesome game. Bills, Chiefs. 
Uh, Greg Jennings, Super Bowl champion and Pro Bowl receiver. He joins us now. What's up, man? How are we doing? Yo, I'm excellent. How about you? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, recovered some bets later. Got to watch some good football. Yeah, like really, really no complaints. Um, Bills Chiefs. Uh, I don't know if it was the, the game of the year. It was a damn good game. Uh, I hope that we can do maybe just a little bit better, but holy hell. Um, do you think that even the Chiefs are on the same plane as the Bills? Because, like, they go in there, that's a pretty monstrous win, and right now it sort of feels like Buffalo's ahead of just above everybody else. Uh, I definitely think they're on the same playing field. Uh, when you look at that game, yes, the Bills got a win. It was a great win on the road, something that they haven't been able to do um, <laughs> in the playoffs when it, when we related to the Chiefs. So they still got to get over that hump if they're able to hold off. The, the one thing that I loved about it is in close games, the Bills against really good teams, they've typically struggled. Mm-hmm. And this was an opportunity for them to get over that hump and actually make a play when the game was on the line and finish. They were able to do that against one what I believe one of the most prolific offenses in all of football. When you look at the Chiefs, they just look like it's so easy to move the ball and get in position to score and to threaten your defense. And so with that, with the way they kind of expose the Bills with the passing game, typically it's going to be with Travis, Travis Kelsey getting him across the middle. They, don't, they haven't had an answer for that. So I'm not ready to just say, all hell Buffalo, even though that's my pick. Mm-hmm. I didn't like a lot of what I saw last night. What didn't you like? Well, yes. Well, I just didn't like that they couldn't cover Kelsey. Mm. <laughs> and they don't have an answer for Kelsey, which nobody has ever had an answer for Kelsey. But uh, if there is somebody that does have an answer for Kelsey, it's it should be the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. Um, that is weird because they did mention that during the broadcast that they are the best team against safeties in the NFL and just Kelsey is just a completely different animal. And yeah, he's been incredible. Um, that connection he and Mahomes has is, yeah, I, I will always remember it as one of the greatest that I've ever seen between a quarterback and tight end. Um, but yeah, they, they did struggle in that regard, but the defense, um, overall, the pass rush was a huge question going into this game, right? And Vaughn Miller makes those three plays, right? The one to force a field goal, uh, then to force um, like the 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 turnover or not the turnover, but yeah, the punt, and then another one that forces yeah the, the turnover, the interception on the last play of the game. Um, the stride from the pass rush that the Bills have made, though, how how different is it from a year ago? Oh, it's very different. It's very different when when they need a play, and we heard it through, even within the broadcast last night. Mm-hmm. When they need a play to be made, Von Miller makes that play. Yep. Like they find a way to get pressure. One of the things that I would love to see them do against guys like Patrick Mahomes is actually pressure them a little bit more. Like we saw Steve Spagnolia pressuring Josh Allen, hurrying up his decision making, getting the ball out of his hands. You gotta do that with Patrick Mahomes as well. I know it's a risk. But you have very good defend, defenders on your side of the ball. You gotta, you gotta take that chance to get that ball out of his hand a little quicker. Do you believe that Josh Allen versus Mahomes as the best quarterback in the NFL is a debate? Um, <laughs> it definitely is a debate. Yeah. It's a debate. I, I look, we're splitting hairs with both of these guys. Yep. Right. So for me, I got the edge going to Josh Allen. Me too. Because of just his his physical imposing name. You can't 
fabricate that. You can't create that. You can't create that. You can't. You can't emulate that. You can't. And he just poses so many, just, just challenges for you defensively. We saw it last night. Like he's not afraid to just throw his body in into a defender to get a first down or to continue to uh, sustain a drive. Like, and we both know that they can throw the ball. They, we both know that they're accurate. We both know that they can run with their legs. But what separates them? The physical nature of who Josh Allen is. Dude, I was saying the exact same thing earlier. I just, I feel like there is such a, you look at the last drive of that game, how many times they just put it in his hand to run the ball. And they just said, yep, don't worry. You're, you're our running game. And, and for like last year it was, Hey, they can't sustain this. They can't have Josh Allen do this. And yeah. Do you want your quarterback taking that many hits? No, probably not. But when the game is on the line and you are on the road and you are facing a tough opponent and you have Josh Allen, um, I think there's just two things. One is you do have that option. Absolutely. It does not feel like he's a brittle guy who's going to get hurt. Like this wasn't RG three getting smashed up in that Seahawks playoff game, right? This guy's a completely different animal. Um, The athleticism is incredible. The hurdle play. But the other part is I, I, I also wonder too, how much that just affects the guys around him. Knowing that, you know, this is a guy that not only can make those plays, he's not afraid of anything. He doesn't seem afraid of the moment, but it looks like, you know, he can just take on a linebacker, no sweat. And how much dudes around him just must feel like, man, we, we are playing with the man here. We are, he's going to get this done for us. And I'm with you. I just, I feel like it's wild to say because a couple of years ago, we were talking about Mahomes potentially passing Brady as the greatest quarterback who ever lived and what that would look like, that there's another guy in the NFL that I, I would rather have close out a game. Yeah, man. Like, all the things that you just mentioned, like, I'm over here, I'm on my end of the phone, and I'm smiling because of the plays that we saw. The particular play you just mentioned, it, the hurdle. Like, when have we seen, and, and, and I'm not talking about, a quarterback that we perceive to be a running quarterback, a quarterback that can do what Josh Allen does in the pocket, outside of the pocket, as far as throwing with accuracy, extending plays, and then bulldoze a guy physically, but then also have the the athletic ability to hurdle defenders. <laughs> when have we seen that? Never. No. Like we, we, never. This is we don't we haven't seen we haven't seen this combination of talent and skill set at the quarterback position. Yep. No, you're bang on. And again, this is something we were talking about earlier in the show today. Is uh, there there have been quarterbacks that were like hard to bring down, right? There are yep. guys like Ben Roethlisberger where sometimes a guy would just ro- yep. roll off of him and you would go, man, he's just a load to tackle. But he couldn't yep. move like that, like not even close. Like most of the time he was in a walking boot anyways. Like he was lucky to move like laterally a couple of yards. He wasn't going down the field. And as much as the hurdle was impressive, what kills me sometimes or what gets me with Allen where I just go, I don't remember this in particular, is when he just lowers the shoulder into defenders or there was one play where he just turned his back to somebody and he's just falling into them <laughs> with all the weight of his body and he's just kind of trucking them. And I'm, I'm like... Yeah, that's just so different. That's just not a thing. Yeah. I don't remember a quarterback who ever seemed to just thrive off of contact the way that he does. Yeah, you're you're spot on. And 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 it you you mentioned something earlier about how does it impact the guys around him. Yeah. It it gives them all the confidence in the world. Think about like I played with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, two of the best pass throwers of the football to ever do it. Aaron Rodgers, in my opinion, one of, legitimately one of the most skillful throwing quarterbacks 
in the history of our sport, period. I have never, like, I had the utmost confidence in those guys because of what they could do throwing the ball, and obviously they both could run. They were not Josh Allen when it comes to not running. <laughs> like, and Josh Allen can do what they've done when, it, when we talk about throwing the football. Like, little tweaks here and there, but like I said, we're splitting hairs with these quarterbacks, but Josh Allen, he adds an element of physical, dominating, imposing element that we have not seen on top of the ability to throw, to drop back, to extend the, the play in the pocket, outside the pocket, and still be accurate and get the ball to his playmakers. Dude, you know how I know it matters for all those guys is that you're, like you just mentioned, you played with those quarterbacks, you've been to Pro Bowls, you won a Super Bowl, and just hearing the way that you're reacting to those plays, right? With just like the smiling and the laughing and just the excitement that you have in your voice. I can't imagine what it's like being on the field with that guy when that's all going down, right? When you're Stephon yeah, Diggs yeah, and you absolutely. know like, oh my God, we have this incredible chemistry, but you're Gabe Davis, you know, and you're looking around or you're Isaiah McKenzie who's struggling through that game, you know, has a couple of drops, just doesn't, isn't making plays. And it's just like, don't worry. Like this guy's going to keep doing it. This guy's going to just truck somebody how it just must amp up the entire offense and make everybody else want to make a play. Like I just, I, that has to have a compounding effect because of the excitement that we hear with you. The opposite side of that. The opposite side right now for me when I'm watching just, hey, how a quarterback's body language is affecting his teammates is in your, you know, the place you're most known for in Green Bay. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think is going on with the Packers right now? Because I, I have a theory I want to share with you after, you know, you, you share your thoughts. So I just think that there's no confidence. Aaron doesn't have any confidence in any of his guys mm-hmm. outside of Alan Lazard. Like, I get it. There's a rapport with Randall Cobb. But none of us believe for one moment that Randall Cobb is and can be the answer for Green Bay Packers moving forward. And he's hurt. He has to develop the trust and just force himself to freely entrust these young receivers. The only way that the Packers are going to thrive this year is going to be off the shoulder or on the shoulder and on the arm of Aaron Rodgers. They haven't proven that they're just going to turn around and hand the ball off and give it to Aaron Jones and and Dylan and allow Aaron Jones to put his imprint on the game, both in the passing game and in the running game. If you're not going to do that, you need Romeo Dobbs. You need Christian Watson. You need these young guys. You need a healthy Sammy Watkins. You need these young guys to feel like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm coming to you no matter what. And right now that's not the case. And when you, when you know your quarterback does not have confidence in you, it shows because he doesn't come to you in those moments where you need it or he needs a play to be made he's he doesn't have that Devonte adams safety valve anymore yeah and it's it's proven to cripple even him of pulling the trigger i um i think that of course you're spot on and I, i've liked some flashes from dobbs um i hope that or i think he's gonna have to trust him a little bit more as the season goes on but okay i've thought even going into this year Rogers sort of threatening the retirement. He's obviously a different guy, right? He was talking about whether or not he's going to be invested in football, kind of one foot in, one foot out. Um, Devonte Adams leaves. It feels like they're going to pivot a little bit more towards a rushing attack. Um, yeah, I'm sure that you felt the wrath of Rogers in the past, maybe less than some of these guys have in terms of when he just shows his displeasure. Like he's not a guy that is afraid to show how he feels on the football field when he's upset with somebody. And, and this year, I just wonder 
if he's all the way in it? Like, do, do you think that his heart is fully invested with this Green Bay Packers team? You know, you bring up a good point. I do believe he is just because I know the innate character and the co- competitor that he is. Mm. I know that he's in it. However, when you bring up those points, when you see, when you see the different levels of emotion in the post game where it's not as fiery or you, you see on the field where it doesn't look as if, you know, it's like, you know, he kind of expects for a play not to be made or for something to go wrong. One could, t- one could run with that immediately. I, however, I look at it as he's really understanding and coming to grips with, I, I don't know how good we are. With the comments he made in the postgame, he said, if we feel like we have the guys, then we, we you know, there's some things we got to do differently uh, with the game plan. We got to execute. We got to call some different plays, whatever the case may be. He wasn't blaming simplify. Matt LaFleur. Yes, there we go. That's what he said. He, we need to simplify things. But if we don't, if, but if we don't believe we have the guys, then that's another problem. The only way you even mention that is if you if you don't know if we truly have the guys, you don't you don't you don't even bring that up. You think about the interviews or any type of any type of quarterback or player that has discussed anything after the game, they immediately let it be known. Like Devontae Adams a couple weeks ago, when they lose to the chiefs. He's like, we got a good team. It, it gets, it is frustrating because we got a good team. I know we got the guys in the locker room. When you know, you know, when you believe it, you believe it, you say it, it's what we see. It's what we hear. When you don't, we don't really hear that. And I don't think that Aaron Rodgers is giving up on this season. I just think that he's almost coming to grips with the fact that, you know, I don't know if this is the team that can really compete for a Super Bowl. But that's why I ask if his heart's in it, because if he feels that way and he's projecting that to the the locker room, I just don't know how that wouldn't resonate with every single guy. (laughs) You know, like this is Aaron Rodgers. you got to believe in us. If you don't believe in me, I don't know how I'm supposed to believe that we can win every week. And, And I'll say this, like that game against the Jets, he started taking heat. He starts getting hit a lot in that game, right? Quentin Williams is just like living in the backfield. And when I watched him and I've seen enough of this guy where it just he was just like, all right, you know, this isn't my fault. Like, I, I didn't do anything. Um, but his body language is like, we're not winning this football game. And the guys around him, when they're huddling around him, don't look like they're going to win this football game. And I'm sorry, but the only way the Packers can win, or the only way that the Packers can be contenders, if Aaron Rodgers believes that his team can win football games, and that if he's going to trust his guys, like you just mentioned. And until he does that, I would just imagine that being in that, like, it's cool when you're front running and you're winning games and you have Aaron Rodgers and he's doling it out and everyone's playing great. And then he's just snapping on you, you know, one play or uh, two plays a game, right? Where he's showing that kind of snappiness, but it just must be miserable to be around that dude right now in that team. Like there's just no way guys are loving going to work in green Bay that they're going to have a blast going and doing film study or hitting practice this week. Yeah. So I, I would, the only pushback that I would say is like, no matter what, they do in green Bay. And I've, I've always been very uh, critical of Aaron Rodgers, and I praise him when he's excellent mm-hmm. in this moment. I don't know if there is anything that he can do. Mm-hmm. I don't know outside of his body language, outside of his just presentation of how he approaches practice or how he approaches the game. I don't believe that they have a good enough team. I did not pick them to win this division. I picked the Vikings. And I just feel like they are a better team. Period. I'm not saying they have the better quarterback. I'm not saying they have better players across the board, but collectively as a team, they are better. And so for me, 
what I look at when I look at the Packers and I understand who Aaron Rodgers is, in order for them to thrive, he's going to not only have to have his guys believe and trust him, but he's going to more importantly have to believe and trust in them. Because he is not he is no longer the player that we've all seen in the past that can just carry the team. Yep. That's not who he is. He needs help. Tom Brady, he's at the point. He needs help. Like players get to that point and it's okay. But I don't I'm not really just, I'm not ready to say fully that Aaron Rodgers is not fully invested or he's not totally in it. Because when you put on those pads and and you're there and you ultimately know that you have a team that could win because I believe they believe they can still win this division or have a chance to compete in the postseason. But when it doesn't look like it because of your performance, it directly goes on to your quarterback typically. And in this case, it's definitely going to fall on Aaron Rodgers. But I can't give him all of that because they got to be better up front. And he has to be better at just allowing himself to freely trust, and not even trust, just take a chance and give these guys opportunity. Well, uh, yeah, definitely shouldn't all be on him because – that Packers defense hasn't been good enough either. And I think they have something crazy like six or seven first round picks that are on that defense. And just like, they're not making yeah. an impact. They score in that game. Finally, uh, they get that big response touchdown. And then what happens? Jets go right back down the field and end the game. And yeah, that defense absolutely has to be better too. Um, you mentioned it though. Like Tom Brady needs help. Um, I don't know if there's any amount of help that could get this done right now. Like, it, do you think he's done? I think he's done. I think he's done. Yeah, I do. I, and, and I told myself a couple of years ago, he, after he went back down to after he went to Tampa and they got it done, I said, you know what, I'm done. I'm never going to doubt or question Tom Brady. It's not that I'm doubting him or anything. There's just too much going on. Yep. Not even foot, football wise. And then when you when you add in addition to his personal life, which I don't ever touch, I just it's it's I believe it's much to to overcome in this moment. And so for me, looking at it solely from a football perspective. I don't think that this team is good enough. They, they've aged just drastically on the offensive side. And then on the offensive line, they got, they've patched a, a group of guys together. And it's literally having Tom Brady just, I, I got to get rid of the ball. If mm-hmm. I don't get rid of the ball right now, I'm just throwing it or I'm throwing it away. If I don't have anyone, they're leaning heavily on Leonard Fournette, both in the running game and the passing game. Like, like, Leonard Fournette, like where's Chris Godwin been? Julio has been inconsistent and un- unavailable at times. Like they have so Cam and Brait non-existent. Like there, there's been so many question marks across the board. Tom Brady even has been at poor, poor in his performance at times. So like, I just don't know if this is the year for them. I don't think that anyone is afraid of them uh, defensively. They've been great, and defensively, they've been terrible. No, they stink. Um, it's over. And you know when it was over? It was when he retired because Tom Brady's a football genius. He knew everything that you just said. That's why he tried to get away. He knew yeah. he couldn't win with this team. He tried to retire. He tried to weasel his way out and go to either Miami or San Francisco. 
Tampa Bay did not play ball. They went, no, we don't care. You're going to play here. The Glazers said, you are playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers if you're going to play. And then I think, listen, I know you said that you don't want to touch the personal life, and neither do I, really, but I always wonder with the chicken and the egg situation with him returning to where he signed that deal, he started doing stuff. Maybe stuff started to fall apart, and he went, you know what, I'm just going to throw myself into football. I'll go back to the Bucs. Maybe it can work out. We'll sign Julio. We'll sign Gage. I'll get enough receivers. He can still make throws. Like, he made some throws in that game where you're like, man, how did he fit it in that window? But he can't do it all the time. And if you just look at where offenses are going, like, look at the quarterbacks that we're talking about right now. Jalen Hurts, crazy athlete. Mahomes, crazy mm-hmm. athlete. <laughs> Josh Allen, crazy athlete. You just need more from your guys right now than what Tom Brady can give you. The margin for error is too small. And that defense is no longer elite. Um, yeah, the offense is obviously not that. I just think it's done. I, I think it's over. And the only curiosity is, like, for me, honest to God, like, does this guy just retire in season? Because if I'm him, I don't want to keep taking a beating. I don't want to put more wear on the tires when I don't need to. And, and this team isn't going here. Like, dude, I really think that they're the third best team in the division. Like, that's where I have them. I have Falcons one, Saints two, Bucks three. Yeah, so for me, when I look at Tom and I look at this team, I don't know if they're the third best team in the division. But I'm getting hot. Today. What I can say, no, no, yeah, absolutely. What what I can say is there's no one in that division outside of Carolina that believes that they cannot beat the Bucks. Mm-hmm. They, the Saints, believe that they can get them, and the Falcons obviously believe that they can get them. Like, I mean, so for me, mm-hmm. they just this team doesn't. They don't. They don't scare you any longer. And you, you hit the nail on the head. Like Tom Brady, he, he understands all of what it takes to win. It's why he's the most winningest co- player in our game, winningest quarterback in our game, because he can identify what's necessary and what's needed to win championships. That's why he's been so great. He knows he can't do it himself. He's a, he he admittedly will tell you that. Mm-hmm. However you got to have guys that are willing to put all of it on the line. And I don't know if those guys are like that any longer. Once you experience winning, Mm -hmm. once you have won that hunger, that drool that you once had, the salivating for whatever you need to do to get a win, to get a championship, it kind of subsides. You got to recreate that. You got to forget about how you just won or what, what it allowed you to win. And you got to almost reboot to where I, I didn't, I got, I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. So how can I re 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 or not reinvent, but kind of re uh, establish that, that hunger, that drive, that same passion, if not even more to where I can be as impactful and effective as I was when we were chasing this thing that we never had. And that's what Tom Brady has always been able to do. And other guys, <laughs> this is why most guys aren't great mm-hmm. because they, they can't get, they can't do that. Once you experience success, once you get paid, it's like, you know what? I can take the edge. Off. It takes the edge off a little bit. Tom Brady has never allowed the edge to be taken off. And I think right now, it doesn't matter what he does, what they do. It, it's not going to work. No, man, the, the edge is gone. And you feel it and you see it if you even watch him in the post games. He just looks, <laughs> dude, he looks tired. You know who has that though? You know who I think really wants that? His, his old buddy, Belichick. Belichick getting it done with <laughs> Bailey Zappi. 300 yards, seven different receivers, four to one touchdown to interception ratio. Um, okay, this is a two-parter. 
How much do you think Belichick actually cares? Because I don't know. But like, you see the receiver, the special teams player that tried to hand him the football. Or like, hey, you tied George Allison. Yeah. He just—he looked disgusted that he handed him that football. That had to be the most embarrassing moment of that guy's life. Like, just Belichick looking at it like, who, who are you, man? Get, get away from me. I'm still calling a football game. Do you think Belichick still really cares? Like the hunger in him to get that one without Brady. And then two is, are are they contenders? Well, I definitely believe he's, he cares. I, I will never doubt that. He's one of those guys that are going to try to make it work however he can make it work. And I think with Bailey Zappi, we're seeing that. And I think that that allows that plays right into who Bill Belichick is. He's doing it with a guy that nobody believed that could get it done. It's like we saw what he did in Green Bay. He gave them a scare. And then you then you win the week after that. Now you win this week. Like this is th- these are the type of ingredients that mm-hmm. that Bill Belichick has always loved and enjoyed, and he thrives off of this because now it proves his his way of going about things. With I don't need that big name guy, or I don't need the 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 big free agent signings all the time. I don't need to draft well across the board all the time. I just need guys that understand what we're trying to get done, that are committed, that believe in what we're trying to get done, and will execute every single week. And that's what you that's what he has right now. Mm-hmm. I love watching it. Um, I don't know if they're contenders. I think there's probably a ceiling to it. They look like definitely a playoff team. And I am reminded of how the defense looked good last year. And then Josh Allen went, this is the defense. Okay. Good night. (laughs) It's like, good night. The season is over. It's probably going to be something similar to that. Like, I just don't think that Bailey Zappi or even Mac Jones, when he comes back and keep up with that team, but I don't know. It just, it does feel like slowly, but surely they are building something. And it it does feel like, yeah, we haven't seen the last of Belichick in championship games. um, And that, yeah, he's not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, Greg Jennings, always fun, man. Thanks so much for the time today. Absolutely. Appreciate you. Take care, man. Uh, there goes the Super Bowl champion, Pro Bowl receiver. Lots of great stuff from him today. Um, and yeah, okay. I, I, we, it doesn't even, it's almost lame to dance on Tom Brady's grave because he's done it for so long. Like the dude is 45 years old and he's just crushed it. He's the greatest of all time. He's got nothing to be ashamed of, but it's just, it's over. And this is how it always was going to go, right? You stay around, you hang around for too long and you leave the game ugly. And Tom Brady is no different than anybody else. That being said, if I'm him and I still believe in the TB12 system, I would retire right now, wait till the season's over, and then maybe sign with the Dolphins or the Niners and go back to the plan. Go back to the roadmap. See if you can get it done with a team that's actually good, a team that actually might have that hunger and where you might get it to. I, I would just, I still believe that, like, look at the Niners right now. They just lost to the Falcons. There, Someone... I heard a stat today that the Niners under Kyle Shanahan have never come back from down four points in a fourth quarter. They just, they're not built to come back in football games. And if the option is another year of Trey Lance question mark or Tom Brady, I think that even at 46 years old, you should entertain that, that possibility Two has shown enough in Miami. He's going to come back that he probably keeps that job. Tom might just be tired and not want to take a beating anymore. Like every time he gets hit, I go, Oof, man, please no more. But yeah, he doesn't look like he's retiring in a family life. So, and he still makes some throws. I still think he'd be the best quarterback the Niners have. There's no doubt about that. So maybe I'm just saying, I'm going to keep it open. Uh, and with that, it's time for action brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. 
official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. You got to be 19 plus Ontario only. Please play responsibly. Uh, Pete Walker sending me his big wins from the weekend. Boy, big winner Pete out here just, you know, dropping parlay victories. Uh, Jobo, uh, Josiah Bosch, don't know if you had a successful betting weekend. If you don't show the slips, then I don't care. That's the thing. If you're the guy in the group that goes, oh, I won a lot of bets. I won all my bets today. It's like, show them. Let's see. You know, all you got to do is take a screenshot. Where are the screenshots? So Pete, Pete's a screenshot guy. That's all I'm going to say. I'm a screenshot guy, right? Where's your screenshots, Jobo? I parlayed my pick and your pick from Friday. So you say. So I, I have the screenshot right here. I can <laughs> show it to you. So I can say. show it to you. Anyways, shoot all. Uh, yeah, my bet. Uh, my best bet for the weekend hits was the Minnesota Vikings. It was looking dicey. The Vikings game was so weird. Vikings had 10 three and outs. 10. 10 three and outs. They sucked. I was miserable to start that game. I was sitting there going, I have a problem, and I actually need to start a support group for people who can't stop betting on Kirk Cousins. And then Teddy Bridgewater had to come in that game, and he just he was not ready to play in that football game. He was dreadful. Vikings end up pulling it out. Um, how did your guys' bets do? Yours hit? Jobo? Brees yeah. Hall over 16 yeah. and a half rushing yards. He killed it. I forgot Pete Destroyed wasn't here Friday. Yeah. Did you, you didn't send in a pick either, I didn't did send in a pick. No, wow. I did not. Hmm. I think if you're not in the office, it doesn't count. If you, if you send in a pick, it's the pick counts, all right? If you submit the pick, <laughs> the pick stands. He just didn't submit the pick. He oh, was off. Yeah, so, but anyways, Pete had a nice weekend. He sent in the slips, and so he was hitting some bets. But, yeah, all right, so then we're going to say we went 2-0 and heading into the weekend. Um, this show continues to be just extremely profitable uh, when it comes to football betting. Just saying, um, what like, what's the record now uh, overall? I'm, what's, uh, like, I'm 9-2. You and two. You're 9-2, and two, and what am I? You are 7-4 and four now. Yeah, okay. So, again, the show is kind of nailing picks. Nine and two. You keep jumping on those things. I I can't lie about it because know, it, you can go back and listen yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, any bets that we like tonight? I got to tell you, if you're just looking at the line on DraftKings, um, it screams to me that they have no idea what to do with this game. It's four and a half for the Chargers, which is we don't know. We think they're better than this horrible Broncos team, but not by more than a score. Uh, we don't really know what to do with them. Uh, there's no Keenan Allen for the, like he's practicing in pads, but I saw a report that he is not going. Um, the Chargers have looked pretty bad. It's not like they've done anything to inspire a lot of confidence. This just seems like two bad teams. Look at even the total. The total's 45 and a half. You know what that is? Vegas going, I don't know. You're just, we got all these models. Your, your guess is as good as ours. We have no idea what to do with this. Put thing. it right in the middle. So what, what do you guys feel? Because I got to admit that I'm pretty lost with this one, Pete. Well, one that stood out to me is uh, Austin Eckler over four and a half receptions at plus 120. Mm. Plus money on DraftKings. Um, he's averaging 6.2 receptions a game. Mm. And these past two weeks, uh, or the last two weeks, he's got five TDs, both rushing and receiving TDs. Yeah, he's good. And he's just been playing really well. I got to tell you, I've been sitting there with Josh Kelly on my fantasy bench for oh. the entire season because Austin Eckler's so injury prone and all he's doing is stacking stats and I keep yeah. going, this should be mine. <laughs> this should be for me. Yeah. Meanwhile, I just keep missing out on guys in the waiver wire because I just can't, I can't give up on the potential of the, the Justin Herbert checkdowns in that rushing game. Yeah, I, listen, I, I think Eckler's on fire. So I've been looking for Eckler props. I couldn't land on the right one. I think that's a good one. Jobo, what do you got? I also had Austin Eckler, but I have I have a different spin on it. I think he's going over 102 and a half total yards because he stacks up rushing and receiving yards. He had 199 against Cleveland and 109 against Houston. So he's going to be the focal point of the offense, like you mentioned, Keenan Allen still out. Mm-hmm. Uh, 29 carries, 10 receptions in those last two games. 
I mean, he leads the team in rushing and receiving. Mm, so there's wow. no reason to believe he won't hit over 102 and a half. Denver's defense is good, but with the injuries, I think Eckler's going to have a big night. I'm just going to go with the under in this game. Um, I don't feel great about it, but looking at the props, there was just nothing that really stood out to me. Yeah, Eckler is the guy that I agree with you too, that he's the the one to target. But maybe a Josh Palmer prop tonight because Mike Williams is going to be hard matched with Sertan and Sertan is a beast. I think that right now it's him and Sauce Gardner who are the two best cornerbacks in football. Like every single week they are just shutting it down. And so if he's going to match up with Mike Williams, there's no way that I'm playing the Mike Williams prop, even though he's tall, big, can go up and get it. Um, I just see a Denver team that struggled to run the ball, but needs to run the ball and can't throw the ball downfield and doesn't have those explosive plays. And I want, I just want to see the Chargers go out here and ball tonight because this is kind of a game where that Broncos team sucks. You should beat them by the spread. This should not be an ugly close game, but I just, I can't shake the feeling like it's going to be or that they get out to a fast one. The only thing that scares me with the total, to be honest, is that um, I expect both teams to be pretty aggressive in terms of going forward on fourth down and that can end up stacking with touchdowns. But I just, how am I supposed to trust either of these teams right now? Again, no Keenan Allen. Sure. There's the Eckler thing in play. I think that again, he's going to have a big night with Mike Williams out there. So I do like those picks. Maybe I'm looking at a Josh Palmer or something else down the lineup in terms of those secondary receivers. But I could also see a situation where they're just up and they're defending a lead and Russell Wilson's trying to make plays and not able to do stuff. So I'm going to stick with that one. Um, So yeah, the under and then two Austin Eckler props. That's what we're doing tonight. Um, that was time for action brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, the unofficial sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. You got to be 19 plus Ontario only. Please play responsibly. Quick break and let's close the show with what we missed. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. All right, fellas. Let's close the show. A little rapid fire. What did we miss from the weekend? Game four. ALDS Yankees up three to one against Cleveland. Josh uh-huh. Naylor hits a home run off Garrett Cole in the bottom of the fourth. Runs around the bases while doing the rock the baby celebration. And yeah. I'm not going to repeat what he said, but something along the lines of you're my son. Yeah. Uh, the Yankees ended up winning anyway, but... When Cole was asked about the celebration post-game, clearly wasn't too happy. He had this to say. Garrett, what did you make of uh, Naylor's celebration? <laughs> Whatever. It's cute. <laughs> Garrett Cole is such a nerd. <laughs> He's such a nerd. Even, like, on paper, I thought that was going to sound kind of cool, but he just can't. There's just those athletes. There's just some of those guys that are out there where it doesn't matter. And Garrett Cole was amazing in that game, by the way. Like, he gave the Yankees exactly what they needed. Their bullpen is in dire straits, which is wild because this is the the team that every Blue Jays fan was getting so mad that they didn't have a bullpen like the Yankees. Early on in the year, it was all about that Yankees pen. They suffered a bunch of injuries. Clay Holmes ended up getting... Um, he lost it down the last stretch of the season. He does have three um, appearances in the postseason where he hasn't given up a run. But either way, they're they're a team that's relying on Willie Peralta and Clay Holmes to get them outs late in ball games. Garrett Cole gave him seven strong. And yeah, still lame. Still root against Garrett Cole. God, I wanted him to get shelled. And I, I, this is not a Garrett Cole opinion, okay? This is just a baseball straight up opinion. 
The Josh Naylor home run and celebration was awesome, and anybody who cried about it is a huge baby. Why do you care? If it's what, who's deciding this line of when it's disrespectful versus, like, he's not, uh, to me, there's only one thing that you can really do or a couple things that you can really do that quote unquote cross the line, right? You start making fun of somebody's family on the field of play, you, you've crossed the line, right? You start to get into like real personal stuff, you cross the line. Goes without saying that, like, anything that's racist or anything that's sexist, like, that's obviously crossing the line. Rocking the baby and saying you're my son as you round the bases is just badass. So shout out Josh Naylor. You're the man. You're the man, Josh Naylor. And I was so sick. He did it the whole way around the bases. He never let up with it. It was so good. I was watching that game. I watched that game even more than I watched Eagles-Cowboys. Um Cause yeah, Eagles Cowboys was kind of boring to start and then it got hot in the second half and it was good the way that I watched it. But no, that was a sexy baseball game. That's a good playoff baseball game. And Josh Naylor doing that makes hate there. And I was so fired up to watch Josh Naylor get that other at bat with Garrett Cole. It was very anticlimactic. It was like two pitches or whatever, but I was texting people going, Josh Naylor's coming up to bat. You should watch this. When do you do that in a baseball game? Never. You never do that. You do that for Aaron judge's home run chase. So, I think it's awesome. I think it's good for the game. And I think that all the disrespectful people are so disrespectful. <laughs> like Garrett Cole's out there like, he disrespected me. Oh, he disrespected me. Shut it's cute. Up. Yeah, it is cute. It's cute. It's cute as hell. Anyways, what's next? Uh, Jeremy Pena homered in the 18th yeah. inning to complete the Astros sweep of the Mariners, one of the longest games in postseason history. Uh, Kyle Dubas's favorite baseball team has been eliminated yeah. from the postseason. Yeah. All uh, right. So, right. JD, who would you rather see win the World Series, the Astros or the Yankees? I would just rather die. Or the Guardians. <laughs> They're still in it. No, yeah, I know, but the, I think he's giving me this. Teams. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't want to live in that world. I just. This makes me sick. Honestly, the Mariners. It sucks for Jays fans that they played the Mariners because the Mariners were definitely the team that you would have wanted to root for if you were a Jays fan. I'm sorry, but they just were. They were the team that wasn't supposed to be there. I think Julio Rodriguez is the most likable guy in baseball right now. Um, they had a fan base that was starving that you should be able to relate to. There's a lot of people in Vancouver that root for the Mariners. Anyway, whatever. Who cares? Um, JD had 55-1 to 1 for them to just come into the American League. Uh, Jordan Alvarez, I'll never forgive. He stole money from me. Jordan Alvarez, you make millions of dollars. Send me, send me my thousands. Okay. It was nothing. You know how they go. A player gets fined. It's nothing to them. That's nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. That's what it is for you. So just send me that money. Make me feel a little bit better because that's, it's like, can you have one of your best bets ever and not win the bet? I think yes. No, I think yes. I think yes, you can. Uh, get at me at JD Bunkus in the DMs or on Twitter at JD Bunkus, both of them. Can you have an awesome bet and it loses? Because I, I stand by that. That 55, one, five, 55 to 1 bet, and I gave that out publicly in the middle of the year. Um, like two weeks later, it was like 13 to 1. It was a great bet, shattered by Jordan Alvarez, his stupid bat that he uses to put balls into the moon. Are you finding Jordan Alvarez? I'm trying to. You're trying to? Yeah. Let him know. <laughs> He can afford to fly his family and to sit in the section where he's hitting all the bombs. He can afford to send me a few thousand dollars, okay? Jordan, please. Anyway, yeah, that game was torture. It was so long. Uh, the Astros are just, listen, they're the cheaters, and they'll always have to wear that. But the more they do this, the more it just goes away, and you feel kind of stupid for how mad we got at them. Honestly, like it is. It's just it's really tough. 
they you have to respect that team. They are just awesome. They are badass. Um, I'd rather see them in the World Series than the Yankees. I like that the Yankees keep losing, and I don't think that the Yankees are nearly as good. And for me, what I love about championship series is when it's best on best. And so to me, uh, the best two teams remaining are the Padres and Joe Musgrove leading the way. Big Joe. Java Joe, they call him, because his parents own a coffee shop. Hmm. Uh, and the Astros. So that's, I think, my ideal World Series right now. I, it's like, Phillies is fine, but... The NL, it doesn't really matter to me, but I, I am definitely rooting for San Diego. And I think there's something cool about them doing it without Mr. Face of Baseball, Tatis. Uh, what's next? Well, before we move, I was just wondering, do you think the Jays would have gotten swept in that series against the Astros? Here's what I will say about the Jays. Um, what's very, very clear from the playoffs is that you just need deep, nasty bullpens. Do you think the Jays could have hung around for 18 innings with their pen? No. Like no. would have been over long before 18. Yeah. You say Kikuchi would have come in there and it was bang over. Good night. Um, yeah. Look at these pens. The Yankees are really struggling because they don't have one. And that's why I don't really want to see them in a world series is I just don't think that they have the arms. You're looking at them tonight. It's a pretty desperate situation. Clay Holmes might not be able to go. Peralta's thrown two days in a row, like something like 40 pitches in the last two days. You got to have deep bullpens. You got to have nasty shutdown innings and the Jays just didn't have it. I don't think they would have got swept, but who am I even to say that? But either way, I just, yeah, I think they would have found a win in that series. I still think that they were a better baseball team than the Mariners, even though the Mariners beat them in the regular season. They swept them in the playoffs and still stand on this stupid corner that is uh, that they're better. But I, I don't think they would have beat them. I just don't. Anybody can get hot. We saw that with the Phillies. We saw that with the Dodgers being 20 up games on the Padres. But still, uh, I think that Astros team is the class of baseball. What's next? Uh, Robert Kraft got another ring this weekend. Hell yeah. Patriots owner got married. Hell yeah, Uh, Bobby Ed Sheeran and Elton John performed. Meek Mill was there. Roger Goodell was there. Adam Silver was there. Apparently, Al Michaels announced the couple for the first time, like Mr. and <laughs> yeah, Mrs. Kraft. That's cool. Um, but Tom that's Brady a big dog move. was there, and yeah. he missed the Bucks walkthrough. Who cares? Uh, to attend. Yeah, that's fine. He's Tom Brady. That's fine? Yeah, dude. We, first of all, we already said, the, the, here's the issues with the Buccaneers, is that Tom Brady's 45 years old and the team sucks, and that his life is falling apart around him. It's not that he went to miss a walkthrough. He's Tom Brady. He can walk through any walkthrough with his eyes closed. He said... That guy has walked through more walkthroughs than anyone will ever walk through in their entire lives. He's totally fine. If he wants to go to his buddy's wedding, a guy who's literally lined his pockets with multi, like hundreds of millions of dollars, he's good. He's, I don't know if he's made hundreds, tens at least from the Patriots. Um, That's cool. I think that the most badass thing from this wedding was seeing the picture of Bobby Kay with his wife. And she's like way taller than him and much younger and blonde. And I went, way to go, Bobby. Way to go. She's like a successful doctor and everything. Yeah. 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 No, there's no doubt. Yeah, she's smart. She's got her wits about her. Maybe less uh, trips down to Florida for Bobby K now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that to me. That's rude. That was funny. <laughs> You're fired, Austin. All right. <laughs> What's next? Uh, we're going to stick in the division. I will say, though, I think Al Michaels announcing that is probably more exciting than the last two football games he's done. But anyway. Um, See, that one you should have done that, too. That stunts. <laughs> that was, that <laughs> yeah. was good. No, that sucked. I was playing that, that for like two that minutes. Made me, that made me want to end the show All on right, the spot. Anyway, You're anyway, fired, we're too. Speaking what? <laughs> we're staying in the division. Christian McCaffrey, Carolina Panthers, is on mm-hmm. the block. Jonathan Jones of CBS Sports reports that Carolina is listening to trade offers for the superstar running back. Mm. Teams that are reportedly interested, San Francisco, Buffalo, Denver, the L.A. Rams. Uh, Jones are, is reporting that the Panthers are looking for at least a first-round pick plus 
plus other compensation. Where would you want to see him end up, J.D.? Well, first of all, your categorization of him as a superstar running back. Mm. That's their categorization of him. Yeah, yeah, well, fine, but no. Christian McCaffrey is not a superstar anymore. And I know this because everyone was going, he's going to be first overall pick in the fantasy draft. Everybody, Christian McCaffrey is going to see the rock this year. Christian McCaffrey is injury prone and washed. Does he still make some plays? Sure, he does. The idea that a team would give up a first-round pick for him is truly laughable. And obviously, the report is what the Panthers want. It's like, cool. Guess what I want? I want the fan to pay me $10 million a year. I want that. You can report it. I actually factually want this to be the, the case, okay? I want $10 million. Actually, I want $10 million a show. Why not? I'm doing this. I'm grinding out here. I'm working my ass off. Want $10 million a show. Let it be known. Report it anywhere you want. I'm asking for it. Genuinely. Please give me $10 million a show. Um, I have as much of a chance of getting that as the Panthers do for getting a first-round pick for Christian McCaffrey. The Bills would be nuts to pay this. I want to see him on the Bills because I think that it's a an added element of it. But I'll be honest. I think the one thing Devin Singletary does well is catch the rock. Like, he's a decent receiving back. I don't like him between the tackles. If I'm the Bills, I would much rather say... Hmm. Okay. Raiders. Are you guys going anywhere this year? What are you saying about Josh Jacobs? You resigning him? Nah. Okay. Let's bring him in on here. I want a physical running back for the bills. I want an in between the tackles, badass guy that hits the hole hard. David Montgomery is another guy that I'd be looking into. Um, not quite the same vein, but better than that. I don't, I just, the McCaffrey bills thing. It just sounds good because the bills have an all-star team and you add another guy who on paper is an all-star. I just don't think McCaffrey's that guy anymore. And yeah, would he be better on the Bills? Uh, no duh. Then he would be better than playing on a Panthers team that's literally begging for the season to be over already and just had their head coach fired. Obviously, obviously, obviously. But that's just, that's not the fit that I see as an ideal one for Buffalo. We got time for one more. Let's go. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon told Sirius XM that he oh, chose yeah. the Celtics over the Raptors this offseason because yeah. he wanted to win right now. Yeah. Considering the Athletic in their NBA season preview gave the Raptors a C-plus offseason grade, uh-huh. uh, do you think Malcolm Brogdon was right? Yeah, of course he was right. The Celtics were in the NBA Finals last year and the Raptors weren't. This is such a hilarious, like, did Raptors fans cry about this? Because this is classic Raptors fans where it's like, how dare they disrespect us? C-plus? Yeah, you got Otto Porter in the offseason. What do you want for that? Like, what what kind of a... I think C-plus is, is not generous, but a little. <laughs> it's, it could have been worse. You got Otto Porter. He's good. I like Otto Porter, but that's what you did. And you re-signed Thad Young. What, like, you want an A? For Christian Coloco in the draft. Yeah, okay, great. He's a second-round pick. And Otto yeah, Porter is Will Chamberlain's son. Yeah, that was, okay. That was, <laughs> let's be careful with that. Uh, I just, yeah. I, Brogdon's right to say that, um, It's but here's what he's wrong with. It's the wrong fan base to say that about. Uh, what I find fascinating, you guys sprung this on me this morning, and I'll do this more. Tomorrow we're going to start getting in our NBA previews, and uh, I got Blake and Vivek Jacob in here on Wednesday for an NBA roundtable, or Raptors roundtable, is him revealing, like, that's the crack in the Raptors cone of silence. I don't know the Raptors are in on the president, Malcolm Brogdon. That didn't get reported anywhere. Malcolm Brogdon letting it know. What was that trade? That's for tomorrow. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave a review. See you tomorrow.